Welcome to a throwback edition of the Social Flight Live podcast, where we feature a special past episode that stood out from all the rest. Join our live broadcast every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern at socialflightlive.com. Social Flight is brought to you by Aspen Avionics, Avidyne, Bose Aviation, Continental Aerospace Technologies, Lightspeed Aviation, Massimo Mighty Sat, Tempest Aero Group, and Whip Air. And now, here's your host, Jeff Simon. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Social Flight Live. I'm Jeff Simon from Social Flight, and we have a great show for you this evening. We've got photographers here from EAA and AOPA. We're going to do a whole discussion on tips and the history, what they've done to get into it. Uh, so many fun things to come. Um, uh, before we get started with that, of course, like to do what we always do, which is a quick little update on things. Let me start that right now. Uh, let's see here. There we go. Okay, um, just wanted to show you a few uh, updates of some things going on. One of the things that is really great is that here at Social Flight, we get to see an interesting perspective of activity in general aviation. And uh, in this case, we get to see what's actually happening with both virtual but also in-person events and the kind of flying that people are doing out there. And what we are seeing is a resurgence of general aviation flying happening uh, August was a, was probably the most active month we have ever seen. It's really fantastic. And we're starting to see in-person events happening again. Uh, it is starting to happen through safe social distancing, but it really seems like a lot of the organizations have kind of cracked the code on how they can carefully start to have gatherings again that uh, will allow people to still fly places, see airplanes, see each other, but keep a safe distance um, given uh, that we're still here. Uh, here trying to get through the crisis. And one of the interesting things, it's an example of that. On September 18th, for example, Whip Air is having a poker run, a really cool event that, uh, that they're going to have going to different destinations there, collecting uh, a hand and, and seeing who wins by collecting, of course, hands of cards and, and getting the best uh, poker hand that you can in that. And so those types of activities are happening. And even though things like some air races have been canceled, some of the events are actually still still happening, but just not in a way that are uh, that are being scored. And so anything where that gets people out and flying, supporting our industry and supporting having people be both uh, current and also proficient in their flying is really a good thing. And of course, that's why we're here at Social Flight. So be sure to check out socialflight.com and the free Social Flight mobile apps for Apple and Android devices. You will start to see all of these thousands and thousands of events and destinations, things to do, places to go. And uh, we continue to do that ourselves with uh, every adventure that we do here at Social Flight. So uh, very, very cool stuff with that. Another thing that I'd like to uh, also bring up is just uh, some uh, uh, information about how you operate this evening. You can actually send your questions in. There is a Q and A feature built in. You'll see me look off to the right sometimes here um, in order to go and uh, check out some of the questions coming in and field them to our audience or just factor it into some of the questions that uh, and topics that we discuss. So feel free to submit your questions throughout uh, and we'll do our best to try to get there uh, during the presentation as well. The other thing is we will be showing some photos uh, doing this, of course, because it's photography night and we have two of the best photographers in the industry here with us. And so we're gonna show some of their work and talk about it. Now, when that's happening and we are on camera, if you're on a mobile device, you can swipe back and forth to see those images versus seeing us on camera. If you're on a PC, you can grab and size the screen. So some people have had questions about how they can see the image larger versus seeing us. And there are controls to do that as well as to ask us questions. So with that, Let's uh, get started here. I'd like to begin by introducing Mike Pfizer, a senior photographer at AOPA. Uh, let me uh, send a little uh, 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 camera request over for Mike. And um, Mike started his own freelance photography business back in 1984, contracting with aviation manufacturers and other Wichita area businesses for both location and studio photography. 
His editorial photography background began with Flying Magazine in 1985, and in 1988, Mike joined AOPA as a freelancer, uh, freelancer and was eventually hired as a staff photographer, and since uh, then, he has enjoyed hundreds of national and international assignments. Currently, Mike and his wonderful wife, Alice, enjoy rural living outside of Derby, Kansas. How are you doing, Mike? Thanks for joining us tonight. Very well, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I uh, really appreciate that. Uh, and uh, let's bring on now uh, our uh, next guest of the evening as well. And that is Scott Slocum. And uh, let me flip over here. And now uh, Scott's love of aviation and warbirds goes back to attending CAF air shows when watching B-17s and Mustangs in the skies of Harlingen, Texas. Scott uh, has been a, uh, a professional aviation photographer for over 15 years with over one hundred magazine covers to date and he's been shooting for EAA since 2015. Scott started flying when he was 19 years old, has about 4,200 hours of flying and his company owns and operates two 58 Barons, specially equipped for air-to-air -air photography and film. He's a native Texan, lives in Dallas with his wife Catherine and daughter Taylor. He is president of Aero Marketing Group and photographer for EAA. Uh, Scott, let's get you on board here. There we go. Oh, we had you and lost you for a second. Sorry about that. There we go. All right, got, gotcha. There, now we've got everybody on board. Hey, guys, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, really, really excited. We appreciate that and, and looking forward to this. This is uh, my first time doing this, so We'll see, I'm, I'm being this side of the lens, so we'll see how this works out. Really, so both of you guys are usually on the other side of the camera, right? You're on assignment uh, all over the world. Is it, and, and I mean, tell me a little bit, let's start with you, Mike. How did you actually get involved in it and what became kind of your, your focus? What really kind of drove you? Uh, well, I knew from the age of 15, I was gonna be a photographer. So I was kind of uh, uh, passionate from the beginning. And was lucky enough in, uh, gosh, the uh, late 70s to work at a color print lab. And one of the clients was a fellow named Paul Bowen. And I think everybody's familiar with Paul's work. <laughs> and eventually, Paul hired me as, uh, as an assistant. And I treated Paul as kind of like college. So uh, I was with him, I think, three and a half years. And 1984, I started my business and was very, very fortunate that I landed an account like in the first week. Wow. So I, I really didn't have to struggle that much. I was uh, very, very lucky. Wow. So a combination of, of kind of getting into photography early and then making that remarkable connection to Paul Bowen. I mean, there aren't many people out there in, in the world whose signatures you actually recognize uh, oh, yeah. on the photos that they take. Scott, how about you? That's actually pretty similar. Uh, Paul was a mentor of mine as well. Uh, really? Was, yeah. I was in the graphics industry uh, that in management actually when I retired in 2004 and somebody gave me his book and I already owned an A36 that I was using for real estate uh, stuff. And so I saw his book and I saw that you could, could actually shoot out of it. And uh, I bought a small aviation magazine that's no longer around, but it was uh, called the autopilot out of Atlanta. It was a, uh, and so I was like, well, maybe I can start shooting for my own magazine. Uh, long story short, they bought the magazine back from me, but I kept shooting and that's what I really enjoyed. And so it kind of grew up from there. So uh, I kind of started backwards, I, I guess, because I started with an airplane, then it became a photographer, but I've always knew uh, that I was going to be an aviation uh, somehow or some way. Uh, that was a passion of mine since I was a little kid. And the photography was, uh, it was a course I took in high school as a blow-off course, and I fell in love with it. So the two merged together, and here we are. Yeah. Now, do you, uh, uh, coming from a general photography background, uh, like Scott, do you do you find that there is a, a, an enormous amount of specialization required? At least, you know, tonight we're going to focus on uh, you know ground-based photography and then next week uh, you'll be back with us. We'll have Chris Rhodes with us uh, from um, AOPA and. Uh, of course, that air-to-air -air is a little bit different, but when, you, when you're dealing with aircraft on the ground, but you're also hopping inside the cockpit and talking, looking at panels, do you find it, there's an, a lot of specialization involved to aviation photography? Well, I think you have to be passionate about it, and you have to understand uh, 
you know, for example, for editorial in my country, speak to this, you know, what they're talking about and what you're shooting to back that up and support it, you're thinking about that. As far as knowledge, I think it's it's basics as far as, uh, you know, your, your f-stop shutter speed and ISO and knowing how to balance all that. The digital cameras have made it so much easier now than it was Mike, probably when you were shooting with film back in the day, you're right. Um, I mean, you can preview it on the back of the camera and see what you're doing. But uh, but now, I mean, uh, in, from a business standpoint, I think you got to specialize to your to your point. But as far as you know, uh, shooting ground photography, I think it's basics as far as understanding where you are with your depth of field to get what you want to get and knowing how to blur out the background if you need to and use ambient lighting, you know, things like that. Um, right. I, so to answer your question, I mean, I, an average photographer can get into it and understand it. It's just, I think being passionate about it is the key. Right. So, um, Mike, tell me a little bit about what a typical assignment entails, because what Scott mentioned there was obviously important, which is uh, for for those of us or folks who are watching that are interested in getting involved in aviation photography, they're they may be approaching it just from kind of visiting a show and trying to get some really cool uh, shots for themselves. You sure. have to approach it from an editorial perspective and telling a story. Um, right. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's cooperation with the editor, whoever's writing the article. And so uh, there's a little bit of back and forth prior to the shoot. But if it's a pilot report, if it's a hardware uh, report. It's pretty straightforward. You know, you're going to get air to airs, ground shots, interiors, maybe some environmental portraits. Uh, and then if it starts getting into the mission of the aircraft or the hardware secondary, then you start looking at, okay, how are we going to build this story? What are we going to photograph? As a uh, case in point, we uh, went on a pheasant hunt once because people <laughs> use their aircraft to go pheasant hunting. And so that's that a new one on me. I, I, I've heard a lot of things about like wildlife accounting and, and yep. spotting services, you know, but sure. pheasant hunting from the air. Yeah. Uh, the sport of Kings, I think was the name of the, the story, but no, you use your aircraft to get to the festival. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty straightforward as Scott says. I mean, it's the basics as far as knowing how to handle your camera, uh, and then uh, choosing your, your time of day is very, very important. Um, and then also knowing more about what's going on on the airport, how to talk to linemen, how to get an aircraft positioned when and where you need it. Uh, those are things you just get with experience. And so to an amateur, I would say hang out at airports. Yeah. And if you and pursue, if you see a nice looking airplane, offer to photograph it for free and just get out there at the golden hour, as they say. Yeah. So, I mean, we're going to get to some of the things about equipment, kind of some how to's and things like that. Um, but I'd like to start by mixing in some of the photos. I know each of you sent me uh, a, just a very, very select small group of, of photos that you've taken. And I have to say from both of you, they are they're striking um, and it really is impressive. And I'd like to kind of hear a little bit of some of the stories on it. And so I'll go kind of back and forth. But let me start here. I'm going to uh, uh, see if, if I can bring on one of these. Let's see. Um, we'll start with the, uh, oh, there it is. Let's start with this one right here. So, Mike, uh, this is from uh, your folder. If, uh, this is showing correctly on here. Can you see those? And uh, this looks like uh, this one is, uh, what, a 55 Baron. Um, but there's a, there's a story. A oh, a twin bow. There we go. Yeah. yeah. I can see the and, door uh, handle now on the back. Oof. Bad for me. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> this is a great example of uh, that low light that I was talking about. This is uh, just after the sun has gone down. And the owner and his dog was part of the story, but it was really about the aircraft. Hmm. Uh, and so this was just a new way of uh, presenting the airplane with the owner. They were actually playing. Uh, and I said, hey, why don't you go in the background and start running around? And, and there you go. Interesting. And again, this has also got quite a bit of Photoshop work done on it, which is typical for most of my work. Right, and uh, and and we'll uh, we'll talk about that a little bit as as well as we get into it. Um, let's switch from this um, over to um, one of uh, Scott's. Now, certainly, here's an iconic image, if if there ever was one. 
uh, a, a P-51 Mustang, obviously doing a flyby. Um, tell me a little bit about this particular story. Yeah, so, and it's hard to talk about this because there are so many good ground air shooters out there, and it's not really my forte, but um, I have a deal where it's called Aviation Adventures, and, and we uh, had a group go out to a friend of mine's place, and he has a private box uh, airfield, and so I got to do some uh, some shooting uh, with this Mustang that just got restored. And, uh, you know, the big thing is on the ground, uh, shooting in the air, a lot of guys were always trying to get that full disc. And so mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, let's, let's give this a try here. Because in the air, I that's what I do. But on the ground, it's a little, it's much more of a challenge. But uh, I got close to one here. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, again, uh, we, we set this time up, like Mike was saying, uh, where it's the end of the day, it's the light's low. Um, my big thing is contrast, color, then composition. And so uh, seeing that, you know, we were actually on a hill overlooking the runway. So being able to look at that and see him come by at your level while you're standing on a hill like that was, uh, was really fun. So uh, that's kind of what this shot was. Tell me a little bit. One of the things I've noticed from both of your photos is that the, the height that you take a picture, it seems to make all the difference in the world of how that picture comes out. Um, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, you mentioned from this one, a hill, Mike, I'd like to show a couple of yours after this, that also the, 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 where the camera is located seems to be a, a huge part of that composition. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, Go ahead. I'm sorry, Mike. Oh, no, I, I was just going to say it. It's, uh, obviously, with a hill here, it gives you that different uh, perspective. One of the things you want to try to avoid most of the time is the horizon coming through the aircraft fuselage. And so, uh, but sometimes you break that rule. But that's a, 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 most of the time I'm either on the ground or on a fuel truck or on a ladder, uh, just trying to get a different perspective. Interesting. Yeah, to add to that, I mean, you know, in basic, basic portraits, uh, you know, when you're shooting kids or whatever, I mean, you want to get to the level of whatever it is you're shooting. Um, you don't, I, I don't really like to look down when I'm doing ground shots. I like to be at the level or even sometimes looking up a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think the different perspective like Mike's talking about is, is huge on that. I will probably die on a ladder before I die on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's an example of one, um, Mike, uh, one of yours, and you can tell that the camera is very low in this in this one. Correct. Um, yeah, I was uh, probably kneeling and uh, shot with a 50 millimeter wide open. I think it was a one two lens. And uh, uh, again, waiting for that golden light. It's just right at sunset. Lefty at this point was still flying. He's passed, but I think he was 92 or 93 and still flying an ultralight uh, around his farm or property. And you're just trying to get a feel for it. Uh, you could kind of tell he was nostalgic mm-hmm. for his past days and such. And this is what I came up with. It's uh, it's really impressive. And and uh, there's another one that, that uh, I've got here. Um, and uh, bear with me as I bring some of these up because they're each going to be, uh, uh, they're each coming from different places to show. But here's an example. Um, Scott, what aircraft is, is this? This is a... A Lancer. That was a, 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 a there's no one many many have made, and those are two 152 engines on there. So it goes, it takes off at 80, and flies at 80, and lands at 80. But uh, <laughs> yeah. a buddy of mine in SoCal has one, and he ended up doing a story on it. And uh, but where we were, there was just not a lot of uh, areas to shoot as far as making nice backgrounds. So we, I was trying to find something to make this interesting. And so I'm laying on my stomach here, shooting down the stripe to try to show more of the perspective of what the airplane looks like. It's very unusual, but it's a, it's a Blanca or a, a Ronica, I think is how you pronounce it, right? And uh, so I can actually get air to air on this strapped to the door of a 152 because it's so slow. I mean, it's, uh, uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, showing a different perspective was the idea and having the stripe lead you to the aircraft. And of course, when you're on a run on a taxiway or in an airport environment, there's lots of those kind of stripes to work with. Yeah, that, that really seems to be the most dramatic aspect of that one. Um, another one which uh, uh, I really like that looks like it was very ground-based, Mike, is this one here. 
Um, this is uh, Special Missions King Air 350, I believe? Correct. Yeah, this was at Truth of Consequences, and they, <clears throat> excuse me, wanted to show the off-field performance uh, of the aircraft. And, and this is one of those times where I think we had two days, so we had plenty of time to cover it. Uh, this was, I believe, a takeoff. I think he's got a notch of flaps in there. And I was looking for a little color. We, we found a patch of these uh, flowers and, uh, again, got down low. Uh, for that power field. I believe this is probably a, uh, I don't know, maybe a 300 to 400 millimeter. Uh, looking at the props, probably a 500th of a second. In some cases, uh, manufacturers, as much as we like the full disc, want to make sure you can see how many blades it's got, uh, depending on what's going on with the aircraft. And so, uh, a lot of communications, a lot of briefings. We're on a handheld talking to the pilots. And I think we did maybe a half a dozen touch mm -hmm. and goes for this. And again, I'm, lots of Photoshop in there. Well, it, it, except it looks so natural. And I like the, yeah. the dramatic nature of, like you said, the flowers and being down low in it. So um, you mentioned something here. Now, for, for the beginner photographer, there's that whole concept of – you know, you don't want to stop the prop. You want to see a disc. And then you had mentioned, we're going to a whole nother level here, which is you want to see the motion, but you also want to know how many blades are on the prop. Right. So take me through a little bit for someone, how they get started in this to, to first go towards the disc and then second, get themselves towards the point where they can actually have motion and see the power in it but be able to also discern the number of blades. Okay. Scott, do you want this one? No, no, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, typically, on a piston aircraft, uh, a two-blade, you're going to want at least a 60th of a second to get a full arc, depending on what RPM they're running. And sometimes that might be a 50th, sometimes an 80th you might uh, get away with. But generally speaking, a two-blade prop is a 60th. A three-blade uh, prop, 125th will give you a full disc and then 250th on a four blade depending on what it is but most of the time those are turbine and they turn a little bit slower so uh, when I was looking at the previous shot of the p51 of Scott's uh, that, that that prop isn't turning that fast is it Scott no no, no that made this job a lot harder. <laughs> so, those old warbirds and the in the uh, turbine aircraft props turn a little bit slower and so those, uh, I, what I do is I just check my camera, look at the the LCD on the back, and and here's that and here's that one. Of course, the the challenge with doing that that's great if they're going to make multiple passes. <laughs> that's hard. What what Scott's doing there that's that's hard to do. So that's all about painting. But uh, to add to what Mike said, you know, I always tell my students if you can shoot a a warbird, a prop-driven warbird, you can shoot anything because those props, especially on the old radial engines, uh, you know, uh, they turn pretty slow. So to get a full arc on a three-braided prop on a Navy aircraft, you're probably going to be at a 50th of a second, So, um, which is now, a half second, right? Now, you brought up the other thing, of course, which is here you've got, uh, a, you know, a, a blurred motion kind of background, and that's because you're tracking the aircraft. How on earth do you do that in a way that you can be, have a sharp image, keep it centered for that shot, and blur the background? That, that must be a heck of a skill. That, well, that's practice, okay? And, uh, I'm, again, there's a lot of guys out there that are better at this than me because I don't specialize in this. But, but I do know that, like, if you go out and you are by, next to a street, for example, and you practice painting with cars – and try to blur the, the wheels, you can mm -hmm. start to get the motion down because you're, you're trying to time your lens where you're not stopping and starting as it's going. You're right with it. So it's like aiming a gun or shooting a gun. So I keep that focus pipper right on it, and I, I track with it the whole way. And I, a lot of guys shoot machine gun mode, what I call it, but I, I just, I'm doing this the whole time because I'm kind of resetting every time I'm, I'm shooting on that. But uh, the other thing, too, is uh, I'll set, whichever direction the airplane's coming in, I'll set 45 degrees to that so I can just twist at my waist as I'm tracking around on that. 
Hmm. And the other thing I tell my students is, is if you can't see the, the markings on the prop, you know, the yellow on this one or like on the king air, there's not really a lot of value in trying to blur that this much because it's mm -hmm. a low percentage shot, right? So if the sun's, you know, backlit, for example, and it just looks black, there's no reason uh, to go that slow on mm -hmm. that. You're not going to really get a lot of benefit from it. So as the airplane moves, so I've got my, my finger on the shutter, and as it's coming across, and now it gets sideways to me, like the other shot you have that I shot, uh, where it's more sideways. You want to pull that up? I'll show you. Yeah, let's get uh, get one of those uh, down. I know he's in here, and we'll go back to some of these other pictures in a minute. That guy. So at this point, the shutter speed has gotten quite a bit faster. There's, there's still enough to where it's blurring the background and the, the prop. But I went from a 50th to I'm probably 125th here. Uh, by way of example. So, you know, it wouldn't benefit to try to get a full disc on this shot because your side, you know, the airplane's profile, you're not really going to see right. it. So I think that when you're shooting, you know, I, I don't know about you, Mike, but I shoot in shutter priority. Yes. And, right. Okay. And uh, so that way I'm adjusting the shutter speed constantly, but I'm, either whether I'm doing air to air or I'm doing uh, motion stuff on the ground. Interesting. Now, what about distance? Um, you know, there's always anytime, certainly that I've done it, uh, uh, and I am about as amateur as you can get. There's always that question of, do you want to be as close as possible so that you're getting, you know, you're getting, you don't have to zoom as much. But at the same time, when you get closer and things are doing flybys, you've got to move that much faster to try to track something. Any, any thoughts on that? Well, like Mike said, I mean, I, you know, I'm going to go in a position to where I can be as high to the aircraft as possible. And the, and the closer I am to the wherever the, that is, the more higher up I'm going to have to shoot. So I actually like to be the further away mm -hmm. and use a longer lens for this kind of, of uh, shooting. Do you recall what kind of lens you might have had for this shot? My two to 500. That's a, I'm a, I'm a Nikon shooter. So this <laughs> is the 500, right? And uh, it's a great lens for that. Um, and uh, not too heavy, not too expensive, and it does great for that kind of work. What does not too expensive generally mean on a, on a, on a lens for the, for, the, for the rest of us? Well, you remember, Mike, when back in the day, what would a 500, uh, 5.6 cost? Well, I, I don't know. I just rented a, um, uh, I think the, the newer 2-400 two, two uh, Canon, and it uh, listed at 8,000. So yeah. uh, I don't own one. Uh, that's what rental houses are for. <laughs> this is, uh, I think around 3,500 by way of example, and um, I would do like Mike did, and I would rent one if I had a, a commercial project that was a uh, faster lens than this. But for overall doing air show stuff or uh, print, it's it does fine. So here's a good example, another one of of kind of altitude and height on one. And Mike, this is this is one of yours, and. Sure. Obviously, you're shooting. You, you, you shoot. You're shooting very high. So we talked about a couple of different things. One of the ones before, we we're shooting very low uh, on the ground level. This is a this is a pretty cool shot up above. Uh, yeah, we uh, had a cherry picker, and uh, gosh, I'm thinking maybe 25 feet up. Uh, I probably would have wanted to go up a little bit higher because you see the far winglet on mm -hmm. top of the aircraft. There starts to look like an antenna. But interesting. We because of the, the the nature of what we were doing, this was the angle that I could get, and we shot yeah. this maybe thirty to forty five minutes after sundown. Yeah, so it's a, the, the lighting, the light level on this, and I know that there there can obviously be a lot of uh, uh, editing on it, but the lighting on this is really fantastic. Um, what? The, something else that comes up in a lot of these uh, photos has to do with the way that the, the light itself appears, the way the landing lights or the strobes appear. What is it that generates kind of that star effect that you see? That would be your, your iris on the camera, the blades of the iris. Um, and depending, you know, it might change from lens to lens. Uh, on this, I'm not sure we're getting a whole lot of that. I guess on the, the runway lights, you're starting to see a little bit of it. I think there's a couple others here. We're going to go back to some of these others. Yeah. I know that there's, uh, let me go find one of the ones. There was a few in here that had um, 
there's what there's a great example of one right exactly. there it's about to come up yeah for everybody and actually that was shot probably five six um, maybe F.A., so it, it's not as pronounced, I think, as the, the more you stop down, the more pronounced it gets. So tell me, uh, so just to clarify, what type of, what is, what, what kind of settings or what kind of equipment would you recommend for someone that actually get this effect if they're, if they're photographing an aircraft, uh, kind of twilight? Well, yeah, I think you'd want to stop down a bit, you know, not, not shoot wide open, though you still get some of this effect when you do shoot wide open. It's just, it depends on each, uh, each lens. This in case, I think this was a, probably a 70 to 200 with a tele extender on it, 1.4 tele extender. And my guess is I was probably at five, six or a four. Hmm. And it also has to do with how bright the lights are. There's, there's kind of different things that take an effect there. Scott? Well, I mean, you could go with a star filter. Remember those? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yeah. you're, you're spot on. I mean, uh, especially when the light is that direct, you're, you're going to get that effect uh, depending on, uh, like you said, the f-stop. I mean, uh, so let's use that as an example. So if you wanted it to be more condensed, the star, and so you have to stop down. So now you're going, let's say, F20 uh, or F18. Uh -huh. So now you have to compensate either with your shutter speed's locked in, right, for your props. And now it's ISO. Follow me? So you have now, you've, you've shut it down. So now you have to compensate somewhere. So now you bring your ISO up so you can get that effect. Right. But, Interesting. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So... But yeah, when the light's this direct, normally you're going to get that regardless. Uh, and one thing, I don't know, Mike, do you shoot manual when you do these or uh, as far as focus or do you autofocus? Oh, I'm almost strictly autofocus. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty much everything is autofocus these days. Okay. Okay. Wow. Um, you just got to be careful on your focus here that, you know, because those lights will mess with your autofocus sometimes and it'll blur it out real quick right when you thought you had it. So, you know, I, what I do is I narrow down my autofocus quite a bit and I'll put it in this case, I'll put it on the windshield. And so that way it's not affected by the lights hitting it. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. You can, you can adjust how many reticles, for lack of a better word, are in your, your autofocus screen. I use a very specific type group and that's where I place it. Um, I'm constantly working the, my selection of autofocus around in my viewfinder. Uh, and it goes exactly as Scott said, is for the windshield. Yeah, it, you can get a lot of things out of focus, but if the pilots are not sharp, it's just not going to look good. So that windshield, most pilots need to be sharp. So you're always, so if you're going to target something, it's going to be the windshield and the pilots. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's for a majority. Sure. Yeah, sure. So let me, uh, let me turn off the sharing here for a second. We'll look at some other different things there uh, on that aspect. But um, let's, let's step back for a minute. A lot of folks might be coming on thinking what, what kind of gear that they need to get, to get started. Let's say they, they're looking to get started in this. And, um, and you know, what's, you, you mentioned, like, for example, one kind of lens. What, what would you recommend to someone who, who wanted to be, let's, let's put them at the intermediate level. They wanted to have enough to really start experimenting with things for real, but at the same time, obviously not, not necessarily be at the pro level. What are some examples of, of a setup? Mike? Oh, I, I'd tell them to get volunteered. <laughs> oh, that's fine. The, uh, the, you know, a basic body that has interchangeable lenses. Uh, and I wouldn't ignore the, the use market. And your two best bets for lenses is a 24 to 70 and then a 70 to 200 realm. And then you might look at a wide angle zoom. Uh, I wouldn't worry about prime lenses yet. I mean, because you're kind of restricted on that. Uh, I do have prime lenses, but my, my go-to lenses are 16 to 35, 24 to 70, 70 200. That's it. What, what, what does a prime lens mean? I'm sorry, it's a fixed focal length, like a 50 or an 85 millimeter uh, or a 35 millimeter, which typically are, are a little sharper. But these days, even with some of the, uh, shall we say, prosumer lenses, they're quite good. I mean, you really don't have to spend a lot of money relative to what uh, Scott and I have done. 
mm -hmm. uh, to, to take good pictures. And especially with the power of post-production in Photoshop, you can do all sorts of sharpening and uh, kind of correct the, the weaknesses of uh, particular lenses. So I, I would say, um, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money. It's more important to get out there and just shoot. Right. Uh, I mean, you just got to just take lots of pictures. And it, it doesn't have to be airplanes. I would tell you to start with landscapes. Mm -hmm. Because once you have a landscape and you know and understand that quality of light, you just throw an airplane in it. Right. Although I, I do like that idea of, the, to, of, taking, of using cars going by as, a, yeah. as an example yeah. to get yourself trained and, and looking at how the wheels are and everything. Until one of them pulls over and wants to know why you're taking pictures of them, you're good. <laughs> yeah, to um, add what Mike said on the camera, I just, uh, whatever it is, make sure it has a manual mode so that you can really understand how to use the, the three elements for exposure on that. Um, and the lenses you selected are exactly what I use. 24 to 70 and 7200 for air air and then I have a 14 to 24 and then of course the two to five for longer stuff. Mm -hmm. um, that's fascinating. I mean, it, it, it's, there's so much to choose from. Is there a way when um, uh, I know that you mentioned post-production and, and all the things that you can do in editing Photoshop, et cetera. Is there something about the way that you tend to take the pictures to start with, uh, or that you would recommend that people kind of err one way or the other, so you have kind of think of it as more data or more information to work with when you're in Photoshop? Is it better to to brighten an image or darken an image, or like where where would you rather be if you're if you're gonna not be perfect? Well, um, I would first of all recommend shooting raw if if you understand what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. uh, Digital cameras shoot JPEGs and TIFFs, uh, and also most of them will shoot a raw file, which is uh, unprocessed, uh, an image, it's not an image yet. And then you take it into something like Lightroom or, or ACR or Capture One, and then you actually develop the raw file. The beauty mm -hmm. of the raw file is you have lots of latitude on how you can make corrections. Okay. And so first thing I'd recommend highly is get used to shooting raw files and how you can manipulate them in, uh, be it Photoshop or any of these other raw developers. That sound right, Scott? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to add to that, um, when when I'm shooting raw, I'm in my mind knowing that I'm going to be able to do things to the color and the contrast to enhance that photo. Mm -hmm. Versus, you know, some people say, "Well, it's Photoshop, so it's not real." Well, there it's all ones and zeros. Okay, number one. So number two. The, uh, the raw file has got so much information, you can pull it, and this is the artistic part of it, you can pull it however you want it to go for color uh, and, and contrast. And that's the beautiful thing about being able to be able to shoot digital these days. So make sure you get a camera that can shoot raw. I would definitely agree with that. Right. And I think, I think most, right. Most, uh, you know, mid-level, I mean, if you're, if anyone's spending, uh, you know, up, uh, 500 to a thousand dollars on a camera, uh, whether it be Canon or Nikon or something, I think they all pretty much would do that. Is that correct? I would think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so now I guess the other, I guess one of the things I was getting at in that is there's times that, uh, that you have to figure out, well, I've got a lot of light. Let's say you're doing in interior shots and I'll, I'll look for one of the ones from you. You've got a lot of light. You're either going to be dark on the, uh, uh on your, um, uh, on, on your instrument panel, or you're going to be, uh, uh, or you're going to lighten that. And you're going to be too light with whatever's coming in through, the, uh, uh, through there. What would give you the, the most to go back to your, your desk and, and work with it later? Is there any advice to people on that? And I'll find one of your, you've got a great uh, a shot from inside a cockpit here I'll bring up. So, and Mike, you know this, I mean, part of our job is, you know, we're shooting detailed shots of these aircraft, right? And we don't always have the best conditions to work under. Um, you know, so as a working photographer, you know, I'm always looking for ways to get quality, but be able to do it faster. Um, and so I started experimenting more with ambient light and that combined with the capabilities of the cameras today with the dynamic range and HDR, you don't even really need to bring a flash anymore. I mean, it's pretty incredible. So I use this shot as an example for somebody who didn't have a big flash setup or really didn't know how to use flash. You know, we pulled this uh, 172 underneath the shade of a hangar door 
and we pointed the, the tail into the sun, um, but it was still in shade, but you still have enough ambient light coming in. I sat in the back seat and framed it up and, and, uh, and exposed it. So I always expose slightly dark and, and bring it up so that I have something to work with on the highlights. Now, that's just my opinion on it. But uh, the, the reason why I did this one is because the other factor that we're running into is with more of these digital screens, mm-hmm. uh, right? So in order not to compete with it with the flash, and uh, it was taking a lot more work to try to work around that. But then when I started shooting ambient, it was like, oh, it's very simple. Uh, the lighting, the, the amount of light coming off the screen and then you're using for the panel, if you were just to stick your head in there, you're like, well, that's going to be too dark. But with the nice new cameras we have these days and shooting raw, you can pull a lot out of an ambient image. Yeah, one, of the questions, one of the questions we got that someone came in is, is there a difference between raw and fine? Or, uh, or, or what, what, is that? what does fine mean on a, on a camera having to do with that? So he's probably, or that person is probably looking at JPEG. So you have JPEG, fine. Okay, so that's not raw. Okay. That's not raw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then some cameras have raw, like you can shoot in 12 bit or 10 bit or 8 bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's just the amount of information that the camera's capturing on that. Right. Can you add to that, Mike? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I got to be honest, I have not shot anything but raw, such as a JPEG, in decades. I mean, occasionally I'll shoot RAW plus JPEG, which gives you both files if there's a quick turnaround. Um, mm. But I can't remember the last time I set my camera on, on JPEG. Right. It's just, no, that it's definitely just, makes sense. So so this, yeah. this picture, again, going back to this instrument panel, this is a great example of something that a lot of people might want to do for themselves. If they want to take some, some shots of their own aircraft, you mentioned a few different things there, and I want to make sure that we get the details on it, which is, in this case, you... You put the cockpit under the under shade, but you had the tail out into the sun uh, in this particular case. Um, can you take us through any other tips or anything else about the equipment for someone that wants to to get a nice beauty shot like this of their panel? Yeah, so uh, one temptation is to go too wide on it. I was, mm-hmm. I was using the 24 to 70 here, but I was probably about uh, 50 millimeter. So I moved back a little bit to get everything kind of squared up. I mean, you can correct that stuff in Photoshop, but anytime I don't have to go in Photoshop, I don't. <laughs> so, um, the, uh, but uh, just, you know, what you're doing is basically trying to get as much light in there without it being direct light. Right. And that's why we're setting it up that way. And if you moved it further in the hangar, for example, you, it would start to get darker and darker. So being out on the very end of the hangar, you know, the hangar door is like a huge softbox light. Mm-hmm. And you all kinds of shooting. There's a, an example in there of a, a guy in the cockpit of a Sky Raider, and uh, that's all ambient light. There's no flash. That's, this is ambient light as well. Um, so I wanted to kind of communicate that to your folks that you don't have to have a really huge, expensive, or complicated flash system to get nice interior shots. Uh, it's just a matter of positioning the aircraft. So here's an example of, a, of a, obviously a, a display. Um, on, when you're shooting these, what's the tip? I mean, it, in so many cases where I've, you know, experimented uh, on something like this, I'm, oh, I can't for the life of me get rid of the glare that's on the screen. How, how do you do that? Well, so that's, that's uh, your angles, okay, that you're on to shooting towards that um, can help it, as well as, you know, when, when you're positioning the aircraft, um, Look like when you're when you're moving the airplane around. Look at where the light's doing on these panels and see if you're getting any reflections that you can remove. Another thing too is is I'll, like I'll have a, a black cloth with me and I might just need to set it on something to keep that reflection from reflecting on this. Right. I my shirt off before uh, and use it to block a reflection. You know, I mean, whatever. <laughs> you guys, you guys must wear a lot of black when you go to shots there because <laughs> yeah. I noticed. I noticed that these pictures, you're not in any of the, there's no like, you know, arm shadow or, or like, you know, obviously there wouldn't be, but it's so, so easy to try to do that. And you're like, ah, I can, I can see a piece of the camera reflected somewhere or something like that. And I found with flats, I was uh, fighting that more and trying to eliminate hotspots than with the ambient. So that's why I I like going that route. So that's the one I was talking about. And this is the one we were talking about also. 
like a six foot piece of black cloth all the time. Always, I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you had it all the time. But now with these uh, glass uh, panels, it's actually a lot easier uh, huh. than back in the day where you had all those separate little pieces of glass. So. Interesting. And uh, tell us, uh, uh, Scott, a little bit about this one. Well, the, the, this guy actually was the last. So let me see if you remember the story right. He, uh, he flew this very Skyraider that the Kavanaugh Flight Museum uh, now has. And he he flew it out of Vietnam to save it. He was the last. It was the last official USAF mission for the Sky Raider. Oh. And so he, he was reunited with the aircraft at this event. So we got him up in the cockpit and took this picture. And this is all uh, ambient hangar light coming in. And uh, it was just one of those special moments. You know, he's got glasses on. So if you were trying to light it with flash, you'd have to be thinking about all that kind of stuff. But with ambient, uh, it's not near as complicated. So in a moment like this, where you have a very short period of time to get something done, then you got to get on it. And mm. I mean, I, you know, it's great for that. But knowing that that, you know, when as far as positioning the aircraft ahead of the time before they put the guy in the airplane, knowing what the light's going to do to predict it is important for that. This is, and is uh, this the same one? The same, same, same aircraft. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. there's a, a couple others in here I'll flip through um, that you've got. Uh, we'll talk about composition in a moment, but you've got a, quite a few where you've done, in this case, the site. And, uh, and in this case, a, you know, a ECI cylinder. Um, can you tell me a little bit about this? Yeah, so this was just an example of when you're doing detail shots of aircraft is, is really drill down into the details. Try to, you know, this guy was really proud of the fact that he had chrome uh, valve cover heads. And it was kind of a cool deal. And so I went ahead and, and uh, really drilled into it. And it's okay to let the depth of field bleed off here to accentuate those details. That's kind of what this example of this was. And then uh, the other one with the, the doors up, um, I don't know if you see that. Yeah, right here. So, and Mike, I'm sure you've experienced this. You know, I, I carry the long lens with me for situations where for whatever reason, I need to blur out the background um, or just to be able to create more emphasis on the subject on that. But this is an example of trying to emphasize what the cool factor of this airplane was. You know, that the, those gold wing doors, the way they fold up. I got the lighting on the side to kind of emphasize the smooth shape of the fuselage. And, and so uh, that's why I kind of use this. But you know, it's our job as photographers to make the detail stuff interesting as well on mm -hmm. that. So uh, that's where the fun becomes uh, to, to me to get in there and uh, and really try to create something different to look at, a different perspective, if you will. Right. Well, yeah. and, and I bet you a dime on the dollar that prop didn't accidentally just stop in that position. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I mean, those are the things you do. You walk around, you prep the airplane, right? Yeah, exactly. Now let me switch uh, switch gears here. I'd like to uh, uh, talk a little bit more about the storytelling aspect of this. And um, I know that um, let's uh, switch this one to let's see. There we go. Um, Mike, one of the things that that is a, a hallmark of many of the many of your photos is is storytelling. Um, at least it certainly seems to be to me. Uh, tell me a little bit about this and, and kind of capturing things that, uh, that, that tell a long, longer story. Well, it, it, you know, these are the uh, stole, uh, the shirt. I think it was a competition uh, takeoff and landing. And uh, Jimmy Gist, I believe is his name. I know it's Jimmy, is just a real character. I mean, he's dancing all around. He's, he's very animated. And uh, I believe this was Montana. And it's a gorgeous day. You have beautiful scenery. Uh, and so I, I spent maybe five to 10 minutes uh, photographing Jimmy. And, and uh, it was actually a lot harder than I thought. There, there was only about two or three decent shots there because he's so animated. He's uh, legs akimbo and his arms are waving. Uh, but that's how he, he sends off each aircraft. And, and yet, the, still, you've got the whole composition going on. Soul. It just happened to be one of the events I was covering. And still, you've got you've got the entire composition. You're down in the grass. Uh, I mean, 
for someone to take a picture like this, it sound, were you lying down? Yes, I was. And you got to remember, I probably shot two, 300 shots. Mm-hmm. We used to say, and it's probably still true, the only difference between a pro and an amateur, how many pictures you take. <laughs> uh, you know, when I go on assignment back in the film days, 20 to 30 rolls of film for one story was nothing. That's what you shot. So I come back from uh, photo missions, you know, from anywhere from six to 12,000 images. You just uh, wow. you shoot lots of pictures. Yeah. Wow. And, and he, it, this is perfect for him. He, he's such a gentleman. He's a great guy. And uh, it, it's just one of, those, one of those moments that that was perfect for Jimmy. It, it really is something. And, and there's so much too. I mean, you can look at almost any corner of this picture and pick up something of, of, of the overall composition. What do you remember the exact equipment that you can recommend for people for something like this? I, I, it was a 24 to 70. And mm-hmm. I was probably on a, uh, most likely my Canon, oh, what it might be, the Mark II, the 1DX Mark II, or the mm-hmm. 1DX. And a it's polarizer. A- That's something I, I, we shouldn't forget is yeah. the one filter I still use a lot is a polarizing filter. And if you can, don't, don't go cheap on it. I mean, try to buy a good B plus W or Heliopan or, you know, a decent polarizer. It, uh, Scott, is, uh, is there like one, do you only use a polarizer when it comes to filters or? Yeah. I mean, uh, there's one more layer, right? Between the sensor and uh, the image. So you want it to be a good one to Mike's point. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when you're, if you're shooting in the, the middle, more in the middle part of the day, it can really enhance your, uh, your skies and bring the clouds out. And so, yeah, I love the polarizer lens. Now, uh, let's see. Let's see. You mentioned uh, we went through that one. I got to tell you, this this picture, Mike, this is my favorite one I've, I've seen you do. Um, tell tell me a little bit about one? this one. Um, this is Travis. He was a Montana rancher, fourth generation, maybe a mile south of the Canadian border. Uh, they're out. And the matter of fact, our hotel was an hour's drive away. And even that was a very small hotel. He and his his relatives uh, are out in the middle of nowhere, and he uses a, a champ, and he's also got a 172 to uh, check on his cattle, because the he's got his cattle spread out on uh, quite a few different uh, places. And we went to land and check on the the cattle, and I and Scott does this too. I just start circling uh, 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 an environment. I, I just start walking around and start lining things up. I saw the cows got the airplane in front of the cows, and I just called for Travis. I said, have a seat and just uh, think about things. He was a natural. I mean, this guy, this is like a New York agency quality model, and he was a real rancher, (laughs) and he was such a nice guy. Uh, The thing, I love the picture, but the thing I walked away from this was just feeling very humble about what ranchers do for a living, how hard their lives are. Uh, it, it was a real impression on me, uh, and, it, and and thankfully the picture turned out. I you know I I kind of desaturated it, brought up some of the gold hues and a few other things in Photoshop, darkened down the sky. Um, but yeah, and I think that was a two hundred eighty one eighty to two hundred millimeter. It really does tell that story. It's it's remarkable, and and I love that. Um, yeah, he and the and the the field right where he is are so crisp and then not far back. You're just, just, you know, out of focus enough of the cattle. Uh, And what type of lens does, uh, what, what did you say lens you were using that would, that does, you know, just about that amount. Yeah. The the longer uh, telephotos like the 70 to 200, 70 is a very slight telephoto 200 is about the moderate uh, that is going to give you what we call compression, bringing up the background a little. And then also your F-stops, when you shoot them wide open, will blur the background, as Scott mentioned earlier. Those longer lenses will give you that real uh, uh, softer background, depending on your F-stop. Uh, and I'm guessing here I was probably shooting 2.8. This this might be one of those occasions when I, I know I'm working in a certain scenario. Well, I'll go aperture preferred as opposed to shutter preferred. Hmm. Meaning I know I want 
this quality, this f-stop is going to give me. So I set my camera on aperture preferred. And then the camera picks the shutter speed that's correct for me. So um, that's, that's one of those times that I kind of deviate from that uh, shutter priority rule. Um, interesting. So we'll show a couple more from these. This is another one kind of an interesting contrast of the era of the aircraft versus what's in the background. Yeah. Yeah. This was um, Cottonmouth um, P-51 in, uh, I, I believe, Long Beach or, or Santa. It might have been Santa Monica. I think it's Santa Monica. And uh, again, it's, I believe it was, uh, it was sunset probably about 15 to 20 minutes after sunset. Uh, this is a good example of linemen are your friends. When I go to an airport, I always make sure I, I go out of my way to say hello to the guys that move airplanes. You buy them pizza for lunch. I mean, these people are, they can make or break your whole shoot. I kid you not. Um, and they brought out a fuel truck. I'm a big fan of standing on fuel trucks because they're very wow. sturdy. Um, they don't move much, and they get you up a little higher than the ladder. And I can set up a couple of cameras if I need to. So you were on a fuel truck for this one? Correct. Because, again, it, a lot it, of pictures it, I, it doesn't I, jump out at you that you're at a different height, but, but you are. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it, I do not hesitate to say, hey, you got a spare fuel truck you can bring down. And most That's people, are very, I think they're eager to help. They really are. Most of the people out there on the line are just eager to help. They, they like being part of the whole shoot. So. Especially when there's a Mustang sitting out there, right, Mike? <laughs> what was that? Especially when there's a Mustang out there to go. Yeah. Uh, look. <laughs> yeah. And exactly. I, I, and that, oh, yeah. Okay. Marble, Colorado, uh, PC-12. And, again, this is probably, I'm guessing, Mid-level between 70 and 200. Um, it was a one-way in, one-way out airport, if you know what I mean. Yep. <laughs> very, very short strip. And matter of fact, the turnaround at the end, I'm sure, was interesting. Because towards the, I mean, the, the, the shrubbery is not far from the wingtips down the other end. Uh, I'm, I've got a handheld communicating with the pilot. And I hear the rumble of the engine starting up and you sit there and wait for him. I pan, Scott probably does the same thing. So I was following him. As soon as I acquired him in my viewfinder, I get the um, autofocus reticle on where I, I want it. And then I just follow him through the whole shoot. So as he's coming down the runway and lifting off, he knows to keep it low. Uh, when we do takeoff and landings like this, a lot of times people just pull the nose up and go through a, a, a normal climb. You don't want that. You can just have the pilot keep it on the deck for you and ground effect. And then unless you're going for that particular kind of shot, you just say, hey, keep it low until you go by me. Right. And it worked out. Worked out. It was, it was an, and this is another good example. It was an overcast day. It was not a pretty day. Hmm. You can still shoot. You know, this is very heavily manipulated in Photoshop, the color, uh, the background, the darkness uh, in contrast. Um, but again, I, I have no problem shooting on overcast days. I love them. Yeah. And Scott, you mentioned you do an awful lot of work also post-production in Photoshop and some of those other ones, right? Yeah, I don't, probably not as much uh, as Mike's doing. Uh, and it just depends on what the publisher likes. So some publishers don't like you to do anything to them, but but yeah, I mean, what's great about the software now is you can really uh, enhance the skies um, so, uh, and, and the colors and the contrast. It's, yeah, it's great. Excellent. And uh, last one from, from you, Mike, here is uh, looks like a collection of Fokers. Yeah, uh, Javier Arango uh, collection in, um, oh gosh, Southern California. I forget the city. Um, He's passed. I think he died. Uh, he died flying one of his aircraft. And uh, this is one of those times where you spend maybe an hour and a half, two hours arranging the aircraft, you know, parking aircraft, pulling them in, trying to figure out what fits where, and then waiting for the light to change. And so I knew it was going to be well after sunset because I wanted the hangar lights on. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be able to see into the hangar. So this might be an hour after sunset. Uh, or even a half hour after sunset, it's almost dark, but the camera doesn't see it that way. 
Right. How often do both of you uh, use tripods compared to hand-holding? Yeah, absolutely. All the time. Any difference between when you're doing a shot like this versus when you're doing a flyby? I don't know. I did. No, I, I don't do that many flybys. I mean, I, I use a tripod with a wimble, wimbly head, I think it's called. It's kind of a swivel mount that allows me to kind of rock my lens around. And uh, but when it comes to like the air show stuff, Scott, I, I don't do any of that. I don't I think guys are hand holding, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. It's very difficult to track. Now I do a lot of video stuff too, and you have to use a tripod with a mm -hmm. look at on that, and that's a whole another conversation. But I would say anytime that you have an exposure that you anticipate to be less than a half a second, a fiftieth, yeah, um, then you should probably be using a tripod to make sure it's sharp. But the the lens stabilization now is so good mm -hmm. that it really helps you out, you know, I mean, I'm shooting interior. I used to use tripods for shooting interiors, and I don't anymore because the lenses are so good, and, of course, the ISOs help out well uh, to be able to get faster shutter speeds on that. Um, and, but, and this example is um, with a tripod. This is probably three different exposures okay. that I can find in Photoshop. Okay. Really? Yeah. One for the sky, one for the hangars, and one for the aircraft out front. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so and then you want, then you want you to be able to lock down together. that camera so you can uh, register, so to speak, the images on top of one another in Photoshop. Fascinating. And the other aspect is depth of field, right, Mike? I mean, you, in order to get everything sharp, you're going to use that. I have to be a slow exposure to get in this low light, right? Yeah. So I heard a bunch of different things mentioned there, lastly, on this particular photo. You, first of all, you shot multiple exposures. Are those different images or just done in one? Uh, can the camera do that? Oh, no, I, I shot, I, I bracketed probably uh, two stop brackets. So I shot what the camera said it thought it should be, then two stops open and two stops down. Okay. And all the time I'm looking at my histogram, which is a, which is a kind of a, an exposure indicator on the back of the camera, uh, to just see where my values are dropping. And, you know, am I going to get good detail in my shadows? So I then start with what the cameras told me, and then I start walking all over the place based off what I'm seeing in my histogram. Right. So it, uh, in this, gosh, you know, I might have shot 150, 200 images wow. as, as the light was changing. Yeah, I'm constantly shooting. I'm just constantly shooting. I may have used that sky might have been earlier in the, uh, in the event, like, just right after sundown and the hangar interiors may have been 45 minutes later. Wow. <laughs> it's really, it's fascinating what goes into it. And, and, and you know, you yeah. both mentioned the difference yeah. between reality and the final pictures is, is, is dramatic. It, it, it looks, it, it's so much different than maybe what it looked like when you were there and what you're oh, able yeah. to create both by what you shoot and what you create afterwards. And, um, and, and you're, you know, you're, you're both just such outstanding photographers. It's so wonderful that, that, uh, you know, for all of us, when we open those magazines uh, every single month, it, it, it's your work that we're seeing. And so I'd like to wrap up with just from each of you, some a, a few thoughts that you've got maybe for, for beginners. For those people now, again, who are, who are looking to make this, uh, we've all been locked down. It's time for everybody to pick up and get a little more serious about a hobby. And let's say now they're, they're ready to go and they wanna, when, when we have the next air venture, which is going to be the biggest one ever, uh, with all that pent up demand, um, we, we want a, a bunch of people are going to want to get out there and come back with photos that are going to last a lifetime. So, uh, Scott, let's kick it off with you. What's what are some of your uh, kind of takeaways for, for some beginning photographers? Well, you mentioned Air Venture, I and mean, that's a great place uh, to uh, if you if, you know air shows are a great place to to do shooting, do the ground stuff or in the air. Um, you know, uh, that's one of the places I started was EAA shooting their, their air show and, um, and they have, that's, they have volunteers. So, you know, you join the EAA, you go out there and they, they look for volunteers to help them with content because they have a massive amount of content to do that. So mm -hmm. I started air shows, uh, you know, now I know they're not going on now, but I mean, go to your local airport and sit at the fence and, uh, watch airplanes go by and, and practice shooting them. Um, get to know the, uh, the airport staff, like Mike was saying, they'd be, they'd be happy to help you come in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you just, you got to shoot. It's stick time. It's exactly. Stick time. Like stick out there. Time. 
<laughs> Mike, what are your kind of top thoughts there for beginners coming in? Well, I think on top of what Scott just said is uh, also look for local EAA chapters that, or even Confederate Air Force chapters if you're if you're looking for different kinds of airplanes to photograph and uh, be willing to do it for free and be willing to uh, you know work hard at it. I, I would also say watch a lot of YouTube training videos on photography, Photoshop, or whatever programs. There's there's all sorts of data out there, and get out and shoot. Get out and shoot. Don't don't be afraid of asking questions at these airports. You know, just walk in and say hi. This is who I am and what I want to do. And you'd be surprised how many people want to help. Absolutely, it's it's yeah. it's really really amazing. Uh, and and uh, you know, it's it's so impressive. I appreciate both of you. Thank you both for joining us here on Social Flight Live. Mike Pizer, senior photographer of AOPA, and Scott Slocum, president of Aero Marketing Group, and of course, photographer for EAA. Next week, of course, we're going to have part two of this, where we're going to focus on air to air photography. Scott, you're going to be back with us, and then we're going to have Chris Rhodes here from AOPA. We're going to talk about what it's like to uh, strap on the aircraft, get locked in there with the big doors open and, and start uh, shooting from the air, from coordination to equipment to composition, all the different things that go into that. Uh, we're going to take it, uh, take it airborne next week. So, again, thank you both so, so much for joining us tonight. It was really fantastic to, to get that look at what it's like to, to be one of the top uh, aviation photographers and what tips and tricks you use. And hopefully just a few tidbits uh, for, uh, for folks out there that they can take away and just uh, use to, to get started uh, moving to the next level of aviation photography for themselves. Um, I just want to say to everyone else out there, of course, like we said, next week we're going to be airborne for photography. And then following that on uh, Tuesday, September 22nd, for flight founder Tyson Weiss will be here with us. Um, really going to be an interesting story of how he founded for flight, what's going on, and what is coming next uh, for that company. Uh, Tuesday on the 29th, of course, we're here every Tuesday night. And uh, we've got Barry and Brian Schiff. For all of us who grew up with uh, watching uh, Barry Schiff and learning about all the different videos, and his, uh, his uh, son Brian's following his footsteps in many, many ways, and they'll be here. And then on October 6th, we have Vans Aircraft founder Richard Van Grunsman will be here. Um, and boy, uh, you talk about experimental aviation. You can't get much higher than, uh, than someone who's put more aircraft into the air than anyone else with Vans Aircraft. And so, again, thank you so much, Mike and Scott. I appreciate everything that you do for us. We see you every single month when we open up our magazines. And uh, I'd encourage anyone out there, if you have questions, send them to AOPA, send them to EAA. I'm sure that they can uh, get through to these guys and you can get some, some additional answers. Thank you both for joining us tonight. Thank All you, right. Jeff. All Thank right, you, and to everyone else out there, blue skies.